Welcome to season eight of the Global Inquirer. We are an undergraduate research podcast based in the University of Virginia. And each week we bring you stories from across the world to explain how global trends are impacting real lives. I'm your host, Emma Ross. Today, we'll be discussing the West Coast wildfires in the context of the year. I'm currently sitting down with John Sun, a second year double major in statistics and free commerce. Hi, John, how are you doing? Hello, Emma. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So we're recording this episode now in January, kind of with a lot of this behind us, but with the added benefit of having a full picture to kind of tell our audience about. So why specifically did you choose this topic and why did it interest you? Well, Emma, when, when we when we came together to discuss uh, episode topics at the beginning of the term, I knew I wanted to talk a little bit about my personal experiences going through September. At the beginning of our fall, being someone who lives on the West Coast myself, I'm from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, a island town off the coast of Seattle and Vancouver. As a resident of the West Coast, you know we are we are comfortable and we're familiar with our regular fire season. It's an expected natural phenomena for the interior of BC for me and south of the border in the U.S. for parts of the West Coast to go through its natural fire season. And that will produce what we've come to be familiar and expect as a seasonal period where air quality changes. But I remember very distinctively um, this particular September that everything was just kicked up to 11. Air quality just absolutely deteriorated for two weeks. And on top of the pandemic, which has already become a huge disruption to all our lives, this whole other dominating natural force came to become another point of dis- disruption in my life as a, as a college student on the West Coast. So that was the impetus for me to, uh, to bring up this episode because I feel that for the subset of the UVA community who also lives on the West Coast and were more than likely forced to turn to their homes due to the pandemic, that this is a huge disruption of life event that potentially is, is untold. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for you to bring this episode to us because of your unique perspective, but also using the unique perspectives of the other students that you've spoken with to kind of bring the student perspective of what it's been like for people like us, ages 18, 19, 20, 21, uh, what it's been for people like us experiencing both a pandemic, but also for many of these students, dangerous conditions back at home on the West Coast because of fires and smoke and whatever else you're going to tell us about. So let's move into maybe giving our listeners a bit of a roadmap of how all of this unfolded. Can you place our audience chronologically a little bit in how this catastrophe unfolded? Yeah, certainly. So to begin the discussion of the timeline, we can go all the way back to as early as March of 2020. As of March 22nd, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, declares a state of emergency due to a massive die-off of trees would uh, increase the risk of wildfire. Or to those who may not live in California or be familiar with its local environment, the main cause of wildfires, the main natural cause is that vegetation will die during the drier periods of the year. They will collect and be very dry and be left on the forest floor. And that becomes a very combustible substance and is the optimal situation for a wildfire to occur. By mid-August, record-breaking warm temperatures are recorded in Northern California, leading to a, quote, siege of lightning storms. They are dry, 
hot lightning completely devoid of rain. And an example of this is in an area near Travis Air Force Base, which is situated between Sacramento and San Francisco, the temperature went from 80 degrees Fahrenheit to 100 degrees Fahrenheit in a space of nearly one to two hours. In Oregon, these fires begin to be contained throughout October, November, and December. The last fire, uh, major fire that was uh, contained December 3rd. Roughly the same story with Washington, with those fires petering out in a couple of months. However, in California, it's important to note, wildfire remnants are still burning as of December 28th. Yeah, so thanks for giving us a bit of a footing in this massive event that unfolded over several months. And I think so the way that we're going to approach this episode, we have two stories to bring to our audience from two different students that you spoke to in order to get a little bit more of the personal point of view about how all of this unfolded, because I mean, we're giving facts and figures to our audience a little bit here. And that's a big part of the story. But another big part of the story is understanding how it was felt on the human level. So can you tell me a little bit about how those conversations unfolded with the students that you spoke to? And then we reached to two students to uh, talk about their personal experiences going through the fire and living through the wildfires and about their experiences as a college student living through both the wildfires and the pandemic. The first we'll hear from is Sophia Lochner, who is a third year economics major with minors in mathematics and history. She is a native of a small town just outside of Portland, Oregon. We'll hear her talk a little bit about what her life was like. The smoke looked like black waves almost, which was really cool, but also like very alarming because you know that like we have like a ton of wildfires in the area and this is going to be bad because Oregon doesn't get wildfires very often. You hear about California getting like their kind of yearly wildfires and even this was so much worse than normal. So like sometimes we'll get smoke from the California fires if they're really bad. But yeah, just like having it that close to home was alarming. So as we heard from Sophia, her experience is suddenly having her life move from the school to back home is, is something that is potentially shared by many of us during that time. And I can certainly say for myself, it was found many parallels with the, the anxious feeling of having to pack up your life and move it across the continent. But now we'll hear from Nathan Yang, who is currently a second year geography student studying at University College London, a California native, and, and one of my friends with whom I went through high school. So I'm currently in London, in the UK, in the middle of lockdown, which is, I mean, it's not been ideal, but it's been all right. Yeah, born and raised just south of LA in a little county called Orange County. Well, maybe not that little, but yeah, it's 14 years there. And then obviously went to school with John in Canada. And now I'm in the UK. So it's been everywhere, which is, it's been an adventure so far. So yeah. Yeah, listening to those clips definitely hits a little too close to home. I think a lot of UVA students or university students in general, or even high school students have similar experiences. But for the two students that we have clips of here, it's a whole different ballpark because not only do they have to fly all the way to the other side of the country, or in Nathan's case, to a different continent. But for these two students, home wasn't the safe haven that it was for a lot of the rest of us because when they get home, the world situation completely shifts yet again. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a point definitely worth reiterating. And it's that, you know, we, 
both myself and these two students, we come home to the West Coast, things are as disruptive as they are. And very suddenly this very mysterious supernatural force begins to dominate our lives for a short period. And Nathan will be the first one to experience this having arrived back in California mid-August is when his story begins. I, I guess for me as a Californian, and it's been many years now, so fires are really not uncommon. My home is in a suburb area and we're fairly close to mountain range area of just sort of dead grass and sort of, you know, brown bush sort of stuff. So we're always expecting that to light on fire. And actually in, I think it was, I think 2017, when we actually did have a fire, like maybe a kilometer or so from our house. So at that time we did evacuate and I was still in Canada. So I obviously was listening to my parents and my sister and family all evacuate that area. But yeah, experience with fires, our family's not too unfamiliar with them. This season though was quite different. I mean, definitely came earlier than we thought, especially I think for me in my area, uh, we had two major sort of close fires at that time in September. The first one was the Bobcat fire, I think in Los Angeles, and that sort of got close to like the Mount Wilson observatory and got quite close to, um, to the city itself. But I mean, it's a little bit farther away from me. And then my closer fire was the, uh, I think it was called the El Dorado fire is the one that was started by that, that gender reveal party. So that's my closest one at that time. And I was sitting there just, I'll talk to my grandmother and we were just like, what the heck is going on? Like, this is the most ridiculous thing. And yeah, there's a, like a bunch of our firefighters from my county just, you know, going over there to, to help out with all those stuff. So yeah, it, it was an interesting time seeing all the smoke. Like I, I saw photos from, from Victoria and they obviously were very like foggy, maybe hazy. But for me living in California, it was almost just like orange sky, dark sort of, you know, and I, like during the summer, during that time, I would go just do some like sports in the morning. So I'd wake up early and I'd see the sunrise and I'd see it rise through that like smoke. And it's just like this ball of this orange, single ball of orange floating through the sky. And it's just like the most ominous look. It's like a dark day, but it's like a this ball of scary fire. So I don't know. It's um, It was an interesting time to be there. And I know it definitely didn't affect me too much when I was there. But I mean, there's been some more fires since and they've been affecting my family more ever since. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it, was, it was a bad time for sure. So Nathan in California definitely experienced these fires uh, chronologically earlier than Sophia, who had, very unfortunately, had the beginning of her wildfire experiences coincide with the beginning of her university term. We'll hear her talk about the, the very hellish week, frankly, when the fires suddenly begin to show its face. So the fires had great timing. And that, of course, is sarcasm in case no one picked up on that. But yeah, so I think it it started becoming bad like the second week of school. So of course, we start the new semester, like we're feeling optimistic. You know, we're in the mindset of we're going to do online classes this semester, but we're going to make the most of it. And then the next week hits and the West Coast is in flames, which it was bad. Like I remember, I think it was Monday night before like we started seeing like serious smoke. I was making dinner 
and like my area doesn't get like power outages very often and it wasn't even like a bad power outage but like we were getting high speed wind warnings so like it was a little eyebrow raising but it wasn't like like you still went on with your evening and then like we had like the power outage for like a 30 seconds and then things turned back on I was like oh like that's a little weird and then Tuesday rolls around and I remember sending videos to my group chat like that I have with my friends back in Charlottesville and I was like like guys look at what the sky is doing because like there was it wasn't low like the smoke was really high like in the air but you could definitely tell like there were fires just in the region nothing like super close to the fact we weren't hazy yet but the sky was wild the next day I think it was Wednesday I woke up and it was like 8 30 so like I know that I had to like sit down for my zoom classes soon and I thought that like my alarm was off for some reason because I was like why like why is it dark out and I look outside and yeah it's 8 30 but like the smoke is blocked the sun like it looks like it's 6 a.m still so I was like that that just can't be good so like at this point like we're we're kind of like tracking the fires watching the news and we're like hmm okay, well, we should, yeah, we should probably keep an eye on this. And then Thursday rolls around. And that's when the haze started getting really bad. So like at this point, the smoke wasn't really high in the air anymore. It was, it was bad. Yeah. We hear Sophia and her experiences are truly something that, something that I certainly cannot imagine for myself. Personally, though, the wildfires imposed themselves in my life compared to Sophia at a much lower intensity, but at a much longer duration. Being on the periphery of these fires meant that smoke would collect in the atmosphere and slowly drift towards my area. So I'm very fortunate to, to never have needed to be under any threat of evacuation, which is, again, an experience that is mind-boggling to me. For a much longer period of time, these wildfires impacted, impacted us here on the southwest portion of uh, BC primarily in the form of heavy degradations of our air quality. Yeah, so we've talked a little bit with the three of you, Nathan, Sophia, and you about what the fire looked like, how visceral it was coming back home after being on the East Coast or in various different spots. So the three of you come home and you see how different everything is after a little while. So we see visually how different it is, but let's move into the specifics here. Let's talk about the effects that the fire had and not just being surprising, but about how they affect you biologically. I mean, it was definitely like weird to have both the fire issues and the COVID issues at the same time, because obviously if you're living in these smoke conditions for like days on end, like, yeah, like I, I totally know what you're talking about. Like there would be days where like I would wake up maybe not like the taste aspect, but like my throat would be so dry. And I think at one point, like I was getting my lungs felt they weren't, they didn't hurt, but my chest felt kind of sore. And of course it's like, well, is this COVID or is it like smoke inhalation? <laughs> and of course, like it, it probably was smoke inhalation just because like it went away, like after a couple hours, unfortunate timing. <laughs> I was looking at photos of just like the air quality meter tracking that was going on around this time. And I think my area was getting up to like four or 500 on the air quality scale. 
And I think less than a hundred is normally ideal. Like you want, like you definitely want that less than a hundred. So the fact that it was that high in like hazardous was really concerning. And at this point, I think my part of my county never went into level two evacuation, but we were definitely in level one evacuation, I think for a few days. The city next to us went into level two evacuation, which essentially just means like, so level one is you need to be prepared to evacuate. Level two is you need to be prepared to evacuate within like 10 minutes. And then level three evacuation is like, you you need to leave your house now. So luckily I don't think we ever got above a one because there was a river separating us from the next city. But there were evacuations like happening all over the southeast area of like my county because like we just had terrible wildfires like because, you know, we're a really forested area. So I think like a few different websites said a few different things. But on average, when it was really bad, we were like 300 to 500 which I think at that point, they don't even know like the long-term effects of if you were to be out like in that weather for like an extreme amount of time. So, so as we heard from Sophia, the air quality in her area definitely, definitely took an, a steep dive towards the unhealthy region. You know, when I look back at this period, I, I, I remember when my friends and I would be on a call and we would be obsessively refreshing the air quality map page and you know, at this point in time, the sky outside is very hazy. It looks like, you know, Victorian era smog has just descended upon, upon our town. And I remember vividly for us, the air quality rating exceeded 200. So we were also in the very unhealthy zone. Very thankfully, though, being so far from the actual epicenters of these fires and be living on an island, I was never under the threat of evacuation, quite unlike the experience of Nathan and Sophia. And I guess is around end of August when Santa Ana winds in California, they basically these massive sort of wind events, 80 to 120 miles per hour. And they sort of roll through from the mountains down to the coast. And um, they definitely sort of helped ignite things like the Bobcat fire at the time. And what else? The, uh, the El Dorado fire, that one was obviously a surprise. I remember reading that on the news when it first ignited and I could see the smoke just sort of on the horizon near us just coming out and it was just like, okay, this is a little concerning. Like why would people want to go on Fahrenheit in 108 degree weather to go have a baby shower or not baby shower, like a gender reveal party. Right. So it's just, it, that amazed me. First of all, is it, it was a weird time for sure. We had two more fires and one was actually in my County and actually it's, I think it evacuated 110 plus thousand people in my area including my family. So my family did actually evacuate for about two days in mid-October. And that was for, I think it's called the Silverado fire. And that was due to down power lines and infrastructure. So I, I personally didn't have any evacuation worries at that point. I mean, I was planning just in case. And obviously it was, it was really smoky and probably a good thing that we were wearing face masks at the time because you couldn't really go out like with that one for two reasons now. So that's sort of where I was at. And I didn't have personally any evacuations because I'd, I'd been gone by then. As we heard from Nathan, the experience of potentially having to relocate both yourself and your entire family to get out of the way of the supernatural forces is definitely out of the ordinary. 
And we will hear also now from Sophia, who was also still met with the same challenge. I would say it was pretty varied, but like it was definitely concerning to everyone that I was talking to. My boyfriend, he and his family ended up evacuating. They live like 10 minutes away from us, but like the smoke in their house was getting so bad that they ended up evacuating to like a different point of Portland. And then of course, like the smoke got really bad there. So that was sad that they like went through the the process of evacuating themselves and like the dog and they ended up coming back a couple days later. So that's what their family did. I was checking in on like some of my friends because I have a friend who lives really close to like the river that was separating my town from the town over that was going into level two evacuation. And she was like, yeah, like we've had We've had our cars packed up for evacuation for like a couple days now, because if the fire jumps the river, we're going to be the first ones that would have like fire issues, essentially. And luckily, I don't think they had to evacuate just because the fire never got that far over. So really thankful that her and her family were okay. And then I have another friend who like lives kind of closer to like me and my boyfriend And yeah, kind of just like the same question of, okay, like, are you tracking the fires too? Um, When are you guys going to evacuate? Like, under what circumstances will it take for your family to evacuate? And I was like, oh, well, you know, we're keeping an eye on the town over. And she's like, yeah, like, guess that's what we're doing too. And then I guess like on the news channels, I don't know. It's hard to remember exactly. I'd say the thing that like, I remember the most vividly is they did interviews with people who were like losing their homes. So obviously there was like a good amount of distance. It's still so startling to like see places that you've been or like places that you're familiar with in your own state completely destroyed by this fire and like people who are losing everything. And like, obviously they're so grateful that they're still alive. I think that was just like a good reminder that, you know, we're very thankful that we didn't have to evacuate and that like, yeah, we had to deal with hazardous air quality for almost two weeks. But the fact that it could have been so much worse was like a very humbling experience. I think hearing from Sophia definitely puts a point on just how different these challenges are for students, because dealing with just a pandemic or dealing with just wildfires would already be so overwhelming, let alone having to deal with both of those at the same time while worrying about your classes. I mean, thinking about evacuation and having to leave your home while you have so much on your plate absolutely must have a cost on these students. High stress, I would be stressed. I was already stressed and I was dealing with half of what they were. And you spoke a little bit more with her about what it meant to live through this. Yeah, I think this is the the part of the story that I think is perhaps the most harrowing. You know, it's it's ridiculous to think that you're taking for granted something so simple as the the ability to breathe air. People being told that, like, say, you're taking your mobile phone for granted or the internet for granted. No, we're talking about basic act of breathing air, and that's something that's just so astounding. Definitely to me, one of my my core experiences, but. But we'll hear now from Sophia a little bit about what it was like, both physically and mentally, to live under those circumstances. Yeah. Well, when my dad is always very good at being prepared. 
So props to him. He saw that we were probably going to get really bad air quality. And we pretty much like, as if we weren't already in like COVID lockdown, we went into fire lockdown. So we locked it, like locked all the windows. I didn't even know this, but apparently windows have like little vents on top to like control moisture. This was news to me, but so like we closed all of those. So like we essentially sealed the house. I remember like he was turning off vents to the outdoors that connected to like various things. I had no idea really, but we were essentially like sealing the house. We only opened the garage door or the front door when we needed to, just because if you open that a ton, you're going to let really bad smoke into the house. Yeah. I mean, our AC did a pretty good job filtering, I think. But yeah, there was one night, I think when it was just starting to get really bad, I'm on the first floor of my house. So like I'm next to the front door and like the garage. And there was one night when the smoke was so bad, I was like, okay, like I can't sleep in my room. Like I have to go upstairs and like sleep on the couch or something, which, you know, slight inconvenience. It's not terrible, but we ended up having to make like homemade like box fan filters because I mean, purifiers, like you can find them in stores. And I think Amazon was like selling out. So it was alarming. Yeah. But you know, we may do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, again, as someone who has mostly lived on the East coast all of my life, I think it was really helpful for me to kind of hear their perspective and what it was like to actually live through the wildfires and a pandemic and be a student. So thank you so much for bringing their stories to us. So Nathan Yang, in his article that he wrote for a UCL publication on the wildfires, he he highlighted the need for future policy change and an overall increase in awareness of climate change and the results of climate change. And Nathan cites the National Park Service in saying that nearly 80% of fires are human caused as a result of, for example, unattended campfires, the burning of debris, equipment malfunctions, cigarettes, and acts of arson. Nathan ends his article in, with a cautionary plea to, and a warning that should these current structural issues be left unaddressed, that we could very well see even larger wildfires with even greater negative impacts as we move on in the years. Well, I guess for the future, definitely things will be getting worse. And that's just an unfortunate reality. I guess sort of things like climate goals that we have at, you know, UN level, at, you know, government levels, they're all expecting things at minimum, maybe 2030, 2040, 2050 times, right? And to be honest, by then, it's, it's really too, too late. And I think in many researchers positions, and in my opinion, and I mean, we, there's, this is not the only fire event that's gone on, right? fires are getting worse like this year i think in california it's been like 5.5 or 6 million acres of land and while it may not sound that much for a state as big as california it's definitely a major impact on the rest of the world and even if we look at other countries like for example australia there's massive wildfires there at the beginning of our year and in, in their summer and all of these little things like they all it just takes that little bit of stuff to to grow each year and take an impact. It just, it hurts that much more every year. Also the human toll and the economic toll it'll take 
obviously at the moment we're fighting a pandemic and that takes hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars and and it's so much more difficult to to manage so many little things and they're not just little anymore so yeah we have to take measures some way some action some way personally i don't know quite how it looks or what it looks like other than the the policies that people are putting in place the governments are putting in place for the future but it's it's coming a little too late it's unfortunate and our generation may look at it differently and our generation may see a completely like brave new world and we're not sure what that'll look like but all we can do is try right and we can attempt to make change so things like the election and things like you know taking a look back at what our faults were and acknowledging them and moving forward in movements it's, it's important for the future And that's our episode for this week. As always, thank you for listening to The Global Inquirer, and thank you to John Sun for bringing us this week's story. Additionally, a special thank you to our two additional researchers, Daniela Moreno-Fournier and Mohit Srivastav on this episode, and thank you to Sophia and Nathan for their stories. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Consider leaving a comment and liking us on Facebook, and be sure to join us next week.